It's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Medler, lovely cushion header for Gerrard! The Ghost Goal Podcast. The last weekend before the international break, and we certainly weren't disappointed by the Premier League. Welcome back to the Ghost Goal Podcast. Southampton briefly took the table, top of the table with a win on Friday evening over Newcastle. Manchester United stormed back with a 3-1 win over Everton after falling behind in the 19th minute. Edison Cavani opening his Premier League account late in the match. Sheffield had an early lead against Chelsea before they got pumped for four goals, and thanks to two of them from assists from... Hakim Ziyech. On Sunday, Tottenham got a 1-0 win over West Brom and briefly moved them to top of the table before they were moved down to second place. Harry Kane firing Spurs to three points with a goal in the 88th minute over West Brom. A Jamie Vardy penalty got Leicester all three points against Wolves and now they go into the break with the top of the table. Uh, Liverpool went ahead early against Manchester City thanks to a scored penalty by Mo Salah but a Gabriel Jesus header equalized later in the half. Kevin De Bruyne missed a penalty, and then we had a boring second half, and that was all she wrote. The Reds head into the international break in third place, and that leads us to Arsenal, who joined Liverpool in the We Got Rocked by Aston Villa heading into the break. It's a fun club. We have meetings on Wednesdays. Ollie Watkins continues to be a thorn in the side of top teams as he scored a brace. Do we need to discuss if he won't be at Aston Villa for much longer? Welcome back to the Ghost Goal Podcast. I'm Andrew Pissarro, along with Alex Moss and Javier Arevalo. How we doing, fellas? <coughs> Sorry, I was feeling a little sick before the podcast. I was barely able to make it on, but, you know, usually after yeah, those I, you're a better man than I. defeats. You're, yeah, you're, you're a better man than I, who uh, actually did. I actually threw up the afternoon. Like, we had planned everything to go on for me to talk about the Liverpool getting smashed by Villa, and then I actually did get sick, so... Uh, at least, at least you're here. Uh, I appreciate it. Bullshit. Bullshit. I mean, the world will never know. At least, really, uh, really at least Arsenal scored a goal. You know, we had the Saka own goal and contributed. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't scored a goal apparently in six hours from open play, but the Saka own goal kind of counts, right? Like, I, I don't. He scored for the wrong team. He, put, he did put it in the back did, of the net, but did. not for not not for the right team. Uh, I do want to just give a shout out quick before we get right into it. Um, shout out to Southampton. And this isn't just because I bet on Southampton uh, and over one and a half goals in this game. And that 82nd minute goal from Stuart Armstrong got a loud yelp for me in a studio. Uh, this was the first time when they ended the day on Friday night, they were top of the Premier League table. It's the first time that's ever happened to them. Which is like kind of cool for a club that mainly my club pilfers and raids for all of our future studs. So shout out to Southampton. You were top of the table for shout out to Ralph Hasenhuttle. Seriously. Uh, Alpine Klopp. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, there were some hard times, but overall he's, he's had them be uh, playing like above their own capabilities and 
they're fun to watch. Like they whenever you see fun. Southampton matched up with pretty much anyone in the top half of the table, you think to yourself, oh yeah, this could be a game with a good amount of goals. Just like that 4-3 with Villa last week. So Need Danny Ings yeah, to get I, healthy as soon as humanly possible. So that, that The, the only team that they've dropped in. points against in the last six games, I think, is Chelsea. Which makes me feel a little bit better about us giving away two goals. And, you know, then conceding again right in the 93rd minute or whatever. So, uh, yeah, Southampton are in a real uh, good moment right now. All right. Well, let's move over to uh, Everton, who lost 3-1 to Manchester United. Uh, Bernard getting the goal in the 19th minute. Bruno Fernandes in the 25th and the 32nd and then passes up. A chance to get the hat trick and lets Cavani open his Premier League account for Manchester United uh, in stoppage time. Uh, no Paul Pogba in the starting lineup for Manchester United. Juan Mata starts on the right for Manchester United. Uh, I've seen the tweets many a time all over the last few days. Uh, this is a team that clearly loves their manager and always steps up and gets a win whenever he's under the most pressure. They lose in midweek in the Champions League to a team from Turkey, uh, Istanbul Basha here. I want. I, I feel like I might be missing a couple continents there, but uh, yeah, Basak Shahir. Yeah, there. Okay, yep, was missing some continents. Uh, shout out Martin Skirtle who said, "Wish we could play Manchester United every weekend after that game," which is a good old fashioned Liverpool troll. But uh, what did you guys think of Manchester United who got the win early on Saturday morning? I mean, Alex called this the the win for United. I, I, I thought it could have been a draw. I mean, Everton had some chances, and they looked decent in the first half. They kind of, United just kind of did that thing where they, you know, got a couple of quick goals, and then it was a close game till till the end, and Everton were pushing in the second half for that, for the equalizer, and, you know, they had a lot of bodies forward, and, and Cavani gets first goal for Manchester United, which I'm not going to lie, I thought he was going to just, like, blast it wide or something. I, I was surprised that he coolly just kind of slotted into the corner. Um, there was a like a freak moment again from Pickford in this game, where you know he was he I don't he seems to be at fault for a goal um pretty much every time he plays now and um, he probably should have had a penalty called against him and like the, the, him and um, don't remember who the center back was I think it was him and Keane like Are you yeah talking about with McGuire they both like decked him no they they looked at it. They looked at it, and the the reason they gave the free kick, they said, was because when Pickford was going up for the ball, Maguire pushed him out of bounds. Oh, okay. But it was still so, pretty bizarre like, from Pickford that that whole sequence there. And I don't know. I'm I'm I think that Everton, if they ever want to like actually try and get into that top break into the top six, they they need a goalkeeper. You know, if they can go out and find someone in January, you got to think that that's going to be one of the last pieces of the puzzle for them to to really be competitive but at the same token you know Alex has was calling on the earlier pod saying you know wait wait for this Everton side and now they've lost three straight so a little bit off the Everton bandwagon now Dominic Calvert-Lewin though still still playing well still getting goals and assists and yeah but at the same time you see another example of uh, as soon as he's up against a center back who can kind of match him in terms of physicality and in, in aerial duels and Harry Maguire. He's not quite as effective in that way. And he and Calvert Lewin really could have uh, used some of his other attributes. Like he, the, what makes him special is the fact that he he is a big target man who can be very dominant in the air. But he also mixes that in really well with a lot of pace and 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 skill on the ball. So I I would have thought that he would have been trying to like drag Maguire a little bit wider out of position and cause some more issues for United that way but 
it uh it was it was a really good performance by united and i i kind of agree with what solskjaer was saying after the game he was absolutely raging about the fact that they had to play in istanbul wednesday night and then they were the first kickoff uh saturday morning uh or saturday uh, noon in england oh, so it's not just Klopp that- who complains about this stuff yeah, no, it's everyone. And it was Klopp and Pep after the uh, Liverpool-Manchester City game. They were both on the on, on board because their two teams played on Tuesday night in Champions League and then get to play a Sunday game against each other. And they, they, all of the top managers, and I'm guessing a lot of other ones around the league, are kind of looking at these fixtures thinking like, yes, we understand that it's hard to put all of these games together in a, some sort of reasoned way but you have to be able to help teams when it's possible to avoid things like this yes United ended up overcoming it but it it looked like the performance was completely due to the fact that Solskjaer was able to say to them before they've set you up to fail here go out and prove them wrong and I mean that's that's a lot of great that's a great motivational tool when you have it but it's still it led to a bunch of injuries i think rashford has an injury he's a doubt for the next game and he's probably not playing for england i think mctominay and a couple other players picked up knocks in this game that that they view as completely avoidable if they were given even an extra day to uh uh relax and recover and then get a bit of a training session and to prepare and build up for this game so it's kind of it's kind of a pyrrhic victory for United. They uh, got back on track somewhat, but lost a good amount in the process. Yeah, they still find themselves. I mean, it's very early days still, but uh, they are two games out of. Well, they have a game in hand. They've only played seven games. Most most clubs have played eight. Uh, they're on 10 points, six points behind Southampton, who find themselves in fourth place, and eight points behind leaders Leicester. It's still early days. Uh, and, and I'll say this about Everton. I still think they're going to be chippy, and I think the big thing is let's wait till Richarlison comes back before I like condemn them. I do think the magic has worn off a little bit, but I still don't think that they're going to go down without a fight every week, and I, I don't... I don't know. I don't think that they're really a team that we'll be worried about, but I do think that they're going to be a team that is going to compete every week, and they have the advantage of not having European uh, European games, and that's going to be a huge benefit. And I know, and I'm sure we'll get to this at some point today. Like, you know, we're seeing a lot more injuries in the league right now, and I know uh, Clap in particular complained that they didn't continue the five subs rule because it was quote unquote too advantageous to the teams at the top, but. That's a debate for another time, but it was something that was talked about, and it's still allowed in the Champions League. So, uh, moving down on Saturday, Crystal Palace got a 4-1 victory over Leeds, who find themselves at 15th place right now. Palace uh, pulling themselves up to 8th, and that gets us to Chelsea, who got a 4-1 victory over Sheffield United. McGoldrick opening the scoring for Sheffield in the 9th before Tammy Abraham scored in the 23rd, Showell in the 34th, Thiago Silva in the 77th, and Timo Werner in the 80th. Alex, I, I how how did we feel? How how do you feel about the Blues? Hakeem Ziyech gets man of the match from what I'm reading and uh, providing two assists in this one. Are you guys a fully operational Death Star? No, we're not even a fully operational Death Star yet. We're still missing Pulisic and Havertz. So uh, no, we're we're acting on uh, like eighty percent attacking capacity. And like I said last week for the the Burnley game. Even when we were missing a certain uh, very important attacking player in Christian Pulisic, we were able to plug in due to the depth of the squad and 
just keep on chugging along. And other than the first 10 minutes where Sheffield were uh, very energetic on the front foot, uh, they weren't really even allowing us out of our own half. And they ended up getting the the goal they pretty much deserved off a well-worked corner. After that point, it was like a, a, a bit of a wake up for us where the rest of the players looked up and just thought, OK, we're taking control of this game. And uh, even with Havertz missing, uh, Kovacic came in to sit on the right side of that midfield three with Kante and, and Mount. They could, the three of them just completely bossed midfield, like broke up any sort of counterattack. Uh, they allowed Chilwell and James to get really far forward. It, in possession, Chelsea honestly were playing a 2-3-5 with the three midfielders, the two center backs, basically is the five players uh, stopping any counterattacks. And then Chilwell, Werner, Abraham, Ziyech, and James acting as the super pressing front five. And, I mean, it, it, it just ended up being too much pressure for uh, a weakened Sheffield United to really deal with. You could tell, like, as the game progressed more and more and more, their, their, their tracking back, their tracking of runners in general was just sloppier and sloppier. And Hakim Ziyech uh, individually just grew into that game and just started taking over. He was... Playing balls in uh, behind, he played the initial ball in behind for Kovacic, uh, that Kovacic cut back for Abraham for the first goal. He played a perfectly weighted ball to the back post for Chilwell that just hit off Chilwell and went in for the, the second goal. Uh, third goal, he obviously hits a perfect free kick to the front post that Thiago Silva gets his head on and glances it in. And then he sets up Werner the, for a chance that should have been his like third hat trick. Or, or his third assist for a hat trick of assists, and Werner just barely misses. So he absolutely ran the game, and he's he's unreal. He's he's going to end up by the end of this season having just way more goals and assists than a player like Willian ever had at Chelsea. And it's I'm, I'm just I'm so happy that like as if long he can as stay the healthy, injuries, yeah. we can avoid some of the injuries. Yeah, I, I I think we've got a real player on our hands, and the kind of player that. We brought in, even though he was a 27-year-old, specifically for that reason that, yes, we have all these young players who have potential to grow into, but we also need a seasoned pro like ZX and obviously like Thiago Silva with their experience to help unlock these uh, very tightly packed defenses. And ZX has been amazing in these two games against Burnley and Sheffield. We just have to see if he can continue into these uh, much bigger games that are here to come. It's gonna be uh, a place to a space. Watch this space. I'm, I'm pretty. Ziyech, I'm pretty, pretty jealous of Ziyech. Yeah, he's looked he, just some of his through balls and balls over the top and and whipped in crosses. They've all looked really, really good. And it looks to to be like he's gonna cr- be creating. I mean, he kind of reminds me of a little bit of Prime Ozil, um, even with higher work rate. So it's uh, it's it's pretty scary prospect to be playing against someone like that. Uh, week in and week out. This, obviously, the like I said before, the question with him is going to be his fitness and if he can maintain this and play, you know, two or three games in a week and and continually produce like this. But like you said, Alex, I mean, this was against Burnley and Sheffield, who are you know, I think 18th and 19th in the table. So let's see if he can if he can do it against yeah, some big teams. Just Sheffield in general. I know they're not the same team as last year, but we dropped points in uh, both games last year, including a 3-0 loss just back in January. That that was the last time Burnley won, or sorry, Sheffield United won in the Premier League, was against us. Jesus. So, 
I think they still had a bit of I a bogey a lo- team like feel in our heads where we're like, we need to show up here. They get the first goal and we have the perfect, you know, reaction. I think to there's that. a couple and, things I've learned you know, from these last couple games from Chelsea. Number one, it looks like you guys aren't, you know, Robin Hood anymore, just giving giving points to the poor. And it looks like you guys may have kind of gotten past that hump. And the second is you guys have a lot of depth, possibly the most depth in the league. Um, just in terms of you can have a couple, two or three key injured players. I think if, if Thiago Silva or Mendy get hurt, you, you're going to have a lot of trouble. But it looks like I'll, I'll add to that. If, if it's Thiago Silva, Mendy or Chilwell get hurt, uh, there's going to be issues. Any other position, we kind of have maybe one or two players who are flexible enough to, to drop in and play a different position and still play well there. But yeah, Chilwell, especially he's been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, we you guys knew exactly what you were getting in a player like him. It was it was you're here. You're just putting on a different blue shirt and do the same, pretty much do the same thing. So let's move down Saturday, late Saturday afternoon. West Ham only get a one nil victory over Fulham. Late goal from Suchek, and then uh, Lookman has his penalty saved in eight minutes into stoppage time for Fulham to snatch a point, uh, which is pretty devastating for Fulham right now. Who? Uh, let's look at the table. Apparently, again his real manager quick. was was absolutely fuming because M- Mitrovic was on the field, and he's usually the penalty taker. So I'm guessing Lookman had been taking penalties well in practice. Don't think Lookman's going to be taking another one again. So probably not. Uh, Fulham are technically out of the relegation zone on four points through eight games, but uh, certainly not the return Fulham would have liked to have seen to the Premier League. And that brings us to Sunday where we had a bunch of really big, important games. Uh, and we'll start with Tottenham who get a one nil victory over West Brom late in, late in the game. Spurs at a work damn for it, this West, one. West Brom, you got to stop doing this to us, man. Dude, I'm so mad. Connor Gallagher almost, he hit the post oh. when it was nil nil from like a 30 yard drive. And I just thought you would have been an absolutely Chelsea legend if you just scored that against Spurs while on loan for West Brom. That would have been brilliant, but not to be. I mean, Tottenham throwing out the full-on Ch- uh, FIFA lineup with uh, Hyunmin Son, Kane, and Gareth Bale along the front line, and Dombele in the midfield, Sissoko and Hoiberg. I mean, it, we want to talk about a team with depth, and I know it's not as quality depth, but Tottenham definitely has enough depth that they probably aren't going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, is this a testament that maybe Tottenham are finally becoming the team that can get that late winner, or is this becoming a just, or is this more of a testament that West Brom can't hold on to games? I think I think they had a pretty easy run of fixtures to start the season so far. I think their next eight fixtures are are really difficult. They they are, after they come back from the international break, they play Manchester City at home, then they play Chelsea away, Arsenal at home. Palace away, Liverpool away, Leicester at home, and Wolves away. So their next like s- all with all with Europa and yeah. League so their Cup next duties. Seven fixtures, league, a bunch of- are pretty much the top six or seven in the table with a Crystal Palace away thrown in there. And so I think to pretty much yeah, make absolutely. Break. This is going to be like their you know they're really going to need a healthy Son and Kane, and you know if they can come out of these next seven fixtures in those top two or three places, then yeah, they're for real. You know, they, they could be total contenders this season, but I think we, we don't know enough about them because they've been getting eking, squeaking wins by versus, you know, lower and mid table teams. And then they had that one big win over Manchester United, but you know, we haven't seen them with that same goal output again. So 
I'm going to wait to to pass judgment on this Tottenham side. I mean, what do we think? I mean, it's eight games in for West Brom. Is uh, I think they're going down. I mean, I know Alex thinks that they're. I, I mean, I have them going down, but is Slavin Village going to survive the season? M- Mourinho, like, Mourinho oh, was talking he, about. He may not. He may not. But I, I do st- still think that West Brom have as good a chance as anyone of going or of staying up. I mean, they play yeah, decent again, football. Seven se- they seven they games do play decent season. football. Mourinho was praising them, saying, you know. If they play like that all year, then he thinks they're going to stay up, and I, I think they're they're going to probably be in it in the in that 18th spot, probably fighting until the end of the you know one of the last days of the season. I don't see them being that 19th or 20th team, but I think that they have enough attacking talent that they'll get some decent results and they might surprise a team or two. But I think just think defensively, they're. Their goalie isn't good enough. Their back line isn't good enough. I will say, though, that they, they've only just gotten their, like, ideal team together for these last, like, three games, where, like, the first three or four games of the season, they were forced to play, like, a back five, like, and be extremely defensive, which wasn't the way they played at all last year in the championship. And as soon as they've gotten players like Gallagher and Kravinovich, the midfielder they brought in on loan, and uh, Carlin Grant came into the team. They've switched back to this uh, 4-2-3-1 or like a 4-3-3 uh, with Carlin Grant up top, their usual Pereira and Diangana out on each of the wings. And then the midfield, they're still. it still feels like they're trying to find the right midfield balance, but like Gallagher's finding his feet. Kravinovich is a young player who's never played in England at all. He's been in Portugal for the last like two or three years of his career. And then they've got like Jake Livermore as their defensive midfielder. And they're still like throwing in a couple players there and trying to figure that out. Uh, I'm not saying it's like guaranteed to work out, but it's only been pretty much like two or three games with those players uh, playing the the system that we see it right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, things eventually click into place just for familiarity's sake. There's, uh, There's still plenty of time for them to turn it around. All right, we'll move on down Sunday, 9 a.m. Leicester City and Wolves, the first of uh, the first of the two handball games of the weekend. Jamie Vardy scoring a penalty in the 15th minute. But I will say uh, there was great goalkeeping uh, in this game. Roy Patricio yeah, and yeah, uh, Casper nice Schmeichel. Both, both teams. Really, really came to play. Uh, the, first of all, the save from the save on the Ruben Neves shot was freaking ridiculous from Schmeichel. I know Rui Patricio had more than a couple saves. He saved the Vardy yeah, second like, penalty. Yeah, the, this was. Uh, I mean, we, but I, I here's the thing. Like from Wolves, I expect this because they are Is a team that's new, very well equipped defensively. The new penalty every week. It seems like they're getting one no, every fucking like, week right now. It's still Manchester United. It's just, it just, I mean, I think one of those, didn't they play Manchester United and there was a penalty in that game? I, I don't remember. I don't know if they've actually played yet. Uh, no, I don't know yet. It's something, I will look into it, but they don't have the forwards that United have that, that you know, the human body craves contact in the same way. But I will say, I I know they redid the handball rule and I understand what the rule says. And essentially, if the ball touches any part of the hand, it makes sense. You kind of have to feel for the Wolves defender on the on the first of those two penalties because he was what like two yards away from him, clearly trying to make an effort to not have the ball touch. Yeah, his that hand was really that was really rough. I don't I don't agree I, with like, that. Penalty. I get wasn't the first wasn't the first penalty completely fine and Vardy scored that and then the second penalty was the one yeah, that hit that, Kilman's hand and then it was saved. Wh- whatever so, it was, 
just so both examples of penalties that were kind of dubious in terms of like the player not having time to get their hand out of the way that Kilman won and then the uh, Joe Gomez won in the city game Mm -hmm. both of them ended up uh, not going in so uh, the the gods of ball don't lie have uh, have spoken (laughs) yeah ball don't lie everyone ball does not lie for sure it is here's the thing though but like this weekend everybody was safe but in the like you know, we've seen it with VAR, you know, it's just one of those things where it's not going to be perfect. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, old man yells at cloud. I'm not watching this until they fix the rule because I, I enjoy watching football every weekend. Like I enjoy watching my team. I'm not going to sit here and pout because they change the rules. Like I'm just going to get the fuck over it. But it is something that I, I just I understand why the rule is the way it is. I just hope that it changes. Let's talk about both of these teams real quick. Leicester's obviously, you know, doing well in Europe right now. They got a win. Uh, in Europa League, uh, going into this game, they get a big win here. They find themselves top of the table, and they're doing it without you know some of their better players. They're still kind of banged up in the back line with uh, the. So Yangshu's out. Dan, yeah, uh, Danilo Pereira's out. Yep, those are two um, two of their starting four back line uh, of their back line. They're essentially, they're playing a back three right now that. Uh, is uh, mainly reliant on Wesley Fofana, the 19-year-old French center back they signed from Saint Etienne last uh, last month. I want to say. Uh, then they have Christian Fuchs, a like 35-year-old left back playing at left center back, and James Justin, a 22-year-old right back playing at right center back. And then they've got all Brighton and uh, I can't remember who plays in the left uh, wing wing back position for them. Luke Thomas played uh, this past week. Luke Thomas, yeah, the other the academy yeah. kid. It's it's an so a- oh Castagne Castagne is another player that they're missing. The, yeah, like those are three hugely important pl- uh, players on their back line uh, that are going to be missing. So Yangshu basically for the season, and Castagne and Dan- Danilo Pereira are supposed to come back soon, but Ricardo Pereira, sorry, Ricardo Pereira, not Danilo. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're still set up extremely well by Brendan Rogers to absorb any sort of attacks and just ruthlessly counterattack, whether it's with Jamie Vardy for these Premier League games or it's Kalexi and Aksho in these Europa League games. So they're passing a lot of the tests right now that uh, I personally had for them uh, or set for them uh, going into this season. And they've done it uh, while enduring all of these injuries, which... You know, not every club can claim right now. It's it's been a test for a lot of teams, and uh, Leicester are passing with flying colors right now. Yeah, and Wolves. I mean, Wolves are still look. They're still doing okay. Yes, this loss hurts, but they're 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 three points out of the top four right now. They should definitely be in the con. They will definitely find themselves in the conversation. They still have a striker in Jimenez who scores almost every game. Uh, you guys know that because I tell you to pet on him to win and to, to score, and it happens almost every single time. And uh, I, I'm definitely, I'm definitely not worried about Wolves at all. They're still, they're, they're gonna, you know, they're not gonna win all of these games, but they're certainly gonna play competitively in all these games. They're not gen- generally gonna lay down. So, uh, it's still early days for everybody. And this brings us to. The most anticipated game of the weekend, Manchester City against Liverpool that ended 1-1. Salah scoring from a penalty in the 13th minute. Gabriel Jesus scoring in the 31st. And like we said, Kevin De Bruyne putting a penalty to the left of Allison And Liverpool come out of the Etihad getting a point, which I was, I thought was fair. Uh, I thought the first half of this game was 
very exciting. Liverpool starting for the first time, Joel Matip and Joe Gomez together, and I thought they did pretty well together. And then the more important news regarding Liverpool is injuries continue to strike, and Trent Alexander-Arnold goes down with a calf injury late in the second half with about 15 minutes left to play. And Paul Joyce, who is the ever-reliant Liverpool reporter, uh, announced that he's expected to miss up to four weeks, which means he was definitely going to miss out on England, but... Uh, that definitely includes uh, the game against Leicester, which is Liverpool's first game back. And I know that they play Atalanta at home in the Champions League uh, in that week. So uh, those are games that I certainly would have loved to have him. Nico Williams, I would assume, is going to come in and take that spot. But we'll see. The other thing Klopp does is he rolls out the 4-2. He run, it was, it was kind of a 4-2-3-1. Um, a 4-4-2 at times, but he starts Diego Giota alongside Mo Salah and Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino, and I thought it played well. I didn't hate it. I mean, with all the injuries that they have in midfield with no Thiago and no Fabinho, uh, I was very... The first half was was honestly... It was back and forth for the first 20 minutes. Liverpool definitely... I, I should have... I felt like they should have come away with more. I definitely felt like they could have scored another goal. Energies kind of dropped, and in the second half, it was... I don't know. The second half was just not great. The first half was a ton of fun, and the second half was not really that exciting, I I would say, from both sides. But um, a fair result for two teams that, I mean, I think this, if Manchester City had Sergio Aguero, I think they might have gotten the win because I think he would have buried that penalty. But uh, um, with all the injuries that Liverpool have, with everybody being out from Van Dijk to Thiago to losing Trent to Fabinho, I will take a 1-1 draw at Manchester City and snatch your hand off for it. So uh, what did you guys think of this one? Like you said, I mean, the first half was super fun. I was really excited, you know, for the second half, and then I fell asleep during the second half. So, um, but I thought that... Did it, did it put you to sleep, or were you already falling asleep? No, no, it put me to sleep. Like, I was like, oh, yay, the second half is starting, and then, like, it, it ended up being super boring. Um, I thought that on the day, 1-1 was probably the fair result. I mean, Liverpool started off pretty well, and you could tell like Pep was super angry after that after that penalty, which, I don't know, what, what do you guys think of that penalty? I, I, I was thought it was a penalty. Like, I've, I've been watching enough and playing enough FIFA that every single time I see that, that's a penalty. But... Uh, are we talking about Walker or Gomez? We're, we're talking. Well, you're, no, you're talking because about the, 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 there was the loss. Yeah, no, but, the, but there was just a foul on Raheem Sterling before that. I feel like they should have they should have oh, called yeah, it back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like that. Oh, well, that's the thing. That, that would have been that a foul. That wouldn't have been a penalty. No, I know. I'm saying, but that penalty should have just never happened because it was in the same sequence of play. I don't know why VAR didn't. Like, I feel like it, it happened in the same minute, so I didn't understand why VAR didn't go back and then say, like, that shouldn't have been a penalty. I guess, I don't know, maybe it's because um, VAR can't call... Like, if it had been a penalty on Raheem Sterling, then maybe VAR could have gone back and called it. But because it wasn't a penalty, then VAR can't interfere. I don't know. But I thought that that, shouldn't, that penalty shouldn't have happened because of that foul, which clearly then, like, Raheem was on the ground, Liverpool counterattacked, got the penalty... Um, which was obviously stupid from Walker, but yeah, I, I just I think that that was that was a little bit controversial. And then that Gabriel Jesus turn, people were debating it at halftime whether that was on purpose. I, I think that was on purpose, and that was like a hell of a goal, um, beautiful turn and finish. But we really need to see more of that from Jesus. You know, you 
I was hoping that he'd kind of continue that in the second half, and he really didn't. He was kind of non-existent in the second half, and while his pressing is always very good, you just you you want to see him get into goal scoring positions more and 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 get more shots on target. He had, but he had a really good uh, heading chance from like an inverted cross from Cancelo in the second half that he just put wide of the left side of the goal. I remember this. Uh, but yeah, I I agree with you. Other than that, but I, I was gonna say the the reason I thought like the first half was so much better than the second half was because both teams kind of set up to go after each other's weaknesses perfectly. Um, I, I don't know if both managers had just played against each other en- enough to know exactly how the other would set up against them, but uh, you, you kind of figured that with all of Liverpool's attacking threats playing so well at the moment that uh, Klopp would go for Jota, Salah, Mane, and Firmino in that front four and kind of leave midfield and the work in midfield up to Wijnaldum and Henderson. Uh, and, and you would see it in like the first... 10, 15 minutes uh, up or t- up until you guys got the goal, uh, every time a ball got recovered in midfield, uh, it was immediately off the foot of Wijnaldum or Henderson trying to get in one of those players in behind or trying to feed one of them, one of the front four, dropping deep to then start a counterattack. And this was all to take advantage of uh, Gundogan and, and De Bruyne trying to get forward and yeah. and uh, help things creatively. So it, that worked in Liverpool's favor for up until the point they got the goal. Then City slowly start working their way back into it by using that two-man midfield Liverpool utilized to switch the ball as quickly as possible they could from left to right or right to left. But in the instance of the goal, they switched it from left to right extremely quickly forcing Henderson and Wijnaldum to try and recover to get back across the field to defend on the right side. They quickly get a ball into De Bruyne. De Bruyne turns and quickly gets it into Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus has the chance to turn and finish well. So it, it, it was one of those things for like both goals. Uh, like the, the, the circumstances that led to them were both teams taking advantage of the other's uh, inadequacies in like their, their setups. And then... All of a sudden, they'd they'd all made uh, some adjustments at halftime. Both teams didn't want to take too much of a risk to lose this game this early in the season. And I, I don't know how much it suits City because they're I think they're sitting down in eleventh or twelfth right now. Um, they probably really should have pushed for the win a bit more. But they're in tenth. They're in tenth on twelve points. Tenth. But for Liverpool and the rest of us uh, in and around that same area as Liverpool, we were all pretty happy with a one-one. I walk, also- walked away from that pretty happy. I'll say this after like after the performance of the first half, and I know obviously De Bruyne scored that penalty. I wasn't to some extent. This city team doesn't strike the same fear into me like they have in the last few years, and I don't know if it's you know just recently because they haven't been you know shit pumping these teams full of goals like they used to, but. I mean, watch this space. I'm just not as scared as City as I probably should be. Like. Without Aguero, like, Bernardo Silva came on, and I don't feel like he did much. Like, I, I don't it know. It's also I interesting that they were – yeah, Morris wasn't even on the bench. They're, they they only had Foden. Foden and Bernardo Silva. They're only yeah. two attacking players on the bench. I thought it was interesting that both managers were complaining about not having five substitutes when Guardiola made one substitute and Pe- or, and uh, Klopp made two. It's like, all right. And one of them was because of right. an injury. So like, neither one of them, like James neither of only them comes used on because all three substitutes. And they were like, we need five substitutes. And I was just like, yeah, but you only made one, dude. So why are you bitching? Like, I don't know. Yeah, that I was, mean, I mean, look, looking me. at 
looking at Pep's bench, I mean, Eric Garcia, John Stones, Nathan Ake are all coming in to play in the back line. Fine, maybe you put Zinchenko in the midfield, but I you're not putting him in before Foden. Like, I I think what both of them are arguing is just you know, and, and obviously I was very surprised Jordan Shakiri came in off the bench for Liverpool. I know he had that really great ball to Jota the week before, but I was still kind of surprised he came off. It, you look at you look at the injuries that both of these teams have taken, and it's partly because of all the games. So I think I think that was more of just it wasn't necessarily that the five not having the five substitutes really affected this game. It's it's just affected the lineups in general like Nathaniel Phillips is the only natural defender in on Liverpool's bench and I, I certainly would not have wanted to bring him on not saying that he's clumsy with his feet but I'd want a defender with with better passing skills uh to come on I, I think he worked well in the game that he did play but not in this one all right Javier it is time we got to talk about Aston Villa going to the Emirates and beating Arsenal 3-0 uh, a Saka own goal in the first half before two Ollie Watkins balls and uh, another assist from Ross Barkley, another assist from Jack Grealish. Ross Barkley is having quite the time at Aston Villa right now, which is... Secret agent Ross Barkley. There's not a lot to, to say from redeeming qualities in this game. I mean, it was... We had a couple of decent chances. It was really just a lackluster performance from the team all around. Um, defensively, I mean, in their first goal, that Sako and goal, like Grealish and Ross Barkley were just taking the piss out of us for like two minutes straight, just like kind of passing it and doing little flicks in the corner. And Yeah, Grealish, Ross, Ross Barkley, and uh, Matthew right. Target. They were all just... just their just, left back. And it was just like really bad defending, um, bad finishing, non-existent midfield after Partey came off at halftime and I mean Arteta really summed it up after the game saying you know there's no excuse for that 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 was the worst performance he'd seen this team play under him and and I had I tend to agree I mean it was just there was no point in the game where I really thought we were going to get back in it um other than that one chance Lacazette just skied when he had like a header from six yards out and should have absolutely put it on target and and scored but it was there was you know Aubameyang again pretty much non-existent in this game has been um, it makes you think that you know and, and Arteta mentioned this it might be time to change the system to switch to three in midfield and to try and get more attacking impetus into the team maybe sacrifice a little bit at the back but you know with Bayerin and Tierney being good good fullbacks that have been healthy pretty much so far this season makes me wonder why we haven't tried playing a back four yet, why we keep sticking this with back five and, you know, trying to play Xhaka or Kolasinic or whoever we can play in there right now. It, it seems to be taking away our attacking impetus, and and I really want to see um, a change of system at, at the break. And maybe this will be the the thing that, like, much like with Chelsea under Conte, um, maybe, you know, Arteta said he's going to try to rethink the whole system. And before the, the COVID break, he was playing, like, a 4-2-3-1 System and just switched to this three four three after the the break and it worked well in, in the big games and it's something we can still pull out from time to time but I don't think it's something we should be playing against Aston Villa at home you know I think see I, I don't I don't even think it's the system that was the issue for you guys I think it was just the like player selection within the system where like we were saying before the right. game I was saying William to you like the only, the only way starting. you can improve. Yeah, the only way I feel like you could like improve this team for this specific like matchup 
would be Ceballos playing in midfield instead of El Neni. And like, and that's not to say anything about El Neni and how well he's played, but that was against Manchester United, where you probably needed to sit back and defend and wait for the right chance to counter. For a, a game against Villa, like obviously with hindsight, Partey gets injured and the team kind of falls apart at halftime once he goes off. Uh, but if you had started with Partey and Ceballos, and like you said, uh, Willian should not be really anywhere near your team uh, against top half of the table sides or, uh, or or and should be saved for those bottom half sides or in Europa League. Uh, you, Pepe has not been playing poorly. We, when he's played in Europa League, yes, it's against lower competition, but he scores goals and he takes people on and he makes the defense have to shuffle and leave other guys open in certain areas at the top of the box that... Maybe that can help reignite someone like Aubameyang, who himself, other than that that penalty he scored at United, has been complete dog shit ever since signing that that new contract. So I, I think you stick with the 3-4-3, even though at some point you need to move on and, We're just and too get predictable. away from that. We're too predictable because, in the 3-4-3. Well, I, I, I want to switch defenders systems. aren't good enough. Like you could, like I said before the game, that Villa were just going to target that Rob Holding and Hector Bellerin right side because they know they can't defend. Bellerin's so concerned with getting forward, and Holding gets isolated there. So Grealish and Ross Barkley just made them look like complete fools. Like they would, they wouldn't put in like a challenge even. They would just stand there and wait for Ross Barkley or Grealish to just play a little tap in to whoever was underlapping. It was. It was absolutely awful from Arsenal. And honestly, I think that completely wipes out any sort of goodwill that you guys should get for the win at United last, last week. Cause sure. Yeah. As I good mean, as Villa I, are, you should I'm not happy be letting international them dominate you from minute one all the way through minute 90. And like, like you saw even the goal that got chalked off for uh, uh, offside yeah, that after was lucky. 40 seconds. Absolutely. That that was that made you think like oh okay Arsenal will wake up from that just like Chelsea woke up and and United woke up from going one nil behind, but you guys didn't even you didn't even take that warning shot and think okay yeah we've got to we've got to get back on it we've got to this, these guys aren't going to roll over, Arsenal just did the rolling over themselves and yeah it was it was not a good look for Arsenal fans it was really bad you guys already have four defeats in the Premier League this season yeah. Uh, I mean, that's what Aston Villa do. They're just here to take scalps. Uh, I mean, they're they're a decent team. They're pretty good. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to. Having, having said that, Alex, we are podcast. only three points behind you guys, and you know it's it's early days still. So it's not like the end of the fucking world either. Every everyone everyone's this. been losing games in the Premier League this season. There's going to be results like this with yeah. from every team. Yeah, but I mean, you said it yourself. That was the worst result oh, under Arteta. But that's what makes me like like kind of be hopeful that he's going to rethink things over the break and we're going to come out with a with a new system and a new look, which is what I think is probably going to happen over the break because I I, I just know that this system isn't working right now um, against the the lower half teams, teams that are sitting back and getting into a low block and playing us on the counterattack. If teams are going to try to have possession against us, yeah, sure, against Manchester City and Liverpool and, and United, maybe this system is, is good enough for that. But I'm thinking against teams like Villa, like Leeds, who we're going to play next week, we, we, we can't be playing the 3-4-3. So. Oh, oh, Leeds, you know, you need to sit back and defend against them. Oh, that's that's going to be your ticket to get a win in that one. Uh, to, to be honest, that game, there's no way that over three and a half goals is going to be plus money. Like, you're going to have to put your nuts on the table and bet four and a half, which is 
that's a discussion for another day. Uh, just want to shout out. Happy last international break of 2020, everyone. Oh, my Lanta. Thank I cannot God. wait. I'm so happy that we don't have to do this again until next year, until March. But we'll we'll get there when we get there. Uh, thank you guys for listening and tuning in. Follow us along on uh, on social media at Ghost Gold Pod, at Andrew Pissarro, at ASMOS92, at Javier Rev9. And until next time. See you.